Please be seated. Thank you. And it is just great to see you guys. And it is awesome to have uh, you joining us through the live stream, those who are. I want to invite you to turn to Daniel 2. Uh, we're going to be looking at the verse, uh, verses 1 through 23. We're in a series called Politics, Prayer, and the Power of God. And just this expository, uh, chapter-by-chapter series we have. I want to talk this morning about ignorance and how ignorance, when it matters most, is not bliss. It's actually more like torture. Um, If there are any kids watching right now, which I know there are, I have a question for you kids. And that is this, and honestly, it's a question for, for all of us. When you're really, really hungry, and it's almost dinner time, uh, if you don't know when dinner is being served or what is being served, you are in a place of great distress and pain. And ignorance for you is not bliss, it's torture. If you've ever applied for a job that you really want, and you were interviewed, the time between the interview and the callback is torture. It's like, am I going to be hired? What did they think? How did I do? It's not bliss. Um, Let's say an even more serious situation. What about someone that you love and care about is in trouble, but you're not exactly sure all of the details? You hear about someone that you love getting hurt, You hear about someone that you love gone missing. You hear about someone that you love get arrested, get in trouble with the law, but you can't get in touch with them, and you can't find out the details, and it's so distressing. Ignorance isn't bliss. Consider the year 2020, right? There's so much that we want to know that we don't get to know right now. Like, when will there be a vaccine? Will it work? Will people take it? Also, will race relations ever get better? They're so bad right now. Will our society hold together? It's so torn apart right now. Will will there ever be good news happening in our world? Will the election results be accepted? When it matters most, but things we actually care about, ignorance isn't bliss at all. It's it's troubling. Um, This morning, we're going to hear a story about two men, both of whom or neither of whom had the information that they really wanted. One was tortured and one was at peace. For one man who had all of the, like, information that money could buy, he was tortured and troubled and um, went on a murderous rampage. Thankfully, he wasn't successful. There was another man, though, who had a lot less power and a lot less money. But what happened for him was his ignorance and the pain of that drove him into the presence of God, where something was revealed to him that he wouldn't have seen otherwise. So we're going to look at these two stories, and more than we're going to look at these two men, we're going to look at uh, the God who revealed himself to both of them eventually. Um, So there's a lot of things that we wish we knew. I I wonder if you were to write down, like, here's what I wish I knew right now, what would that be? I've got things on my list. I'm sure you have things on your list. Um... And I can't predict the future, and I can't give you the answers, but this story is going to teach us how to live with all those unknowns. 
And it's going to show us more than that. It's going to reveal a God who shows himself in times of ignorance and shines his light in times of trouble. So let's look at the story, shall we? It's Daniel 2, verse 1. Here's the first man who was undone by his ignorance, troubled by it, tortured by it, Nebuchadnezzar. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Here's the thing about um, people in power, people who, who are leaders. We think they have it better off. We think that they're doing fine. They have more to worry about than people with less responsibility. And Nebuchadnezzar had plenty to worry about, plenty to keep him up at night. I mean, think about it. He's risen, his star has risen to heights rarely seen by anybody. Maybe half a dozen people up to that point had had as much power, military power, cultural power as Nebuchadnezzar had. And he's really early into his reign. And the story of kings is like, hey, if you're a king who likes to overthrow kings, guess what? There are young guys waiting to take over for you. And so who's going who's gonna to come after you? Who's the next empire builder ready to take down the king of Babylon? You can even think about Nebuchadnezzar looking out at night right before this dream, sipping on his Babylonian wine, looking over the Babylonian city, seeing the river, seeing the homes, seeing the gardens, seeing the, hearing people dance and laugh, and like everything's wonderful for them. But you're thinking about all the problems. You're thinking about all the things that could go wrong. When's the next you know, plague, the next war, the next fire? And then he goes to bed. And he's shaken by a dream. He's shaken by a dream. This isn't just one of those weird dreams, which is like an amalgamation of a bunch of stuff that uh, is is humorous. This dream has purpose. This dream is from God. We're going to look at the dream next week. It's got all the hallmarks of God inspiring a dream. It's got biblical imagery. Uh, It has uh, creativity. It's got... Uh, a revelation of Nebuchadnezzar's frailty as well as a picture of God's coming kingdom. Um, For now, suffice it to say that if, if you're Nebuchadnezzar and you had fears about your leadership, this dream would freak you out. And it would leave him in a state of, oh my goodness, I need to act on this dream, but I don't even know, I don't know what it means and I don't know what to do. So he, he wakes up He's, he's shaken, maybe it's 3 a.m., and he's like, I gotta summon the experts. It's like when you wake up in the middle of the night, you're worrying about something, and you're like, Google, Google, teach me, tell me, help me. He doesn't have that, but he's got a whole cadre of experts, and so he summons them. Rouse them out of bed. Call the Chaldeans. And verse two, the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. These are all the experts all the people who know stuff in his culture, some of them, you know, experts in natural things, some of them experts in supernatural things. For his culture, those two things went together, as for most cultures. Um, And so they came in and stood before the king, it says, probably bleary-eyed, not the staff meeting they were expecting to show up to, um, first thing of the week. And the king's upset, and the conversation escalates very, very quickly. The king said to them, it says in verse 3, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. 
Then the Chaldeans answered to the king in Aramaic, Hey, king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show you the interpretation. And maybe they're thinking like, go ahead and tell us what you dreamed. We'll ad-lib. It'll make sense. It'll fit within your kind of way of seeing the world. We'll live another day. But verse 5, the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word for me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. Now that's something. Verse 6, but if you show me the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. So to be clear, they need to recount all of the imagery with all of its detail, and then they need to show here's what to do in response to this dream. And here we see the picture of a man who's outwardly very powerful, um, but, but inwardly very immature, and turning to find out from people what he can only receive from God. Um, so he's taking the biggest stick that he has, which is like, I'll, I'll give you a violent death and I'll destroy your home, and offering the biggest carrot he has, which is money and power and honor. We're not Nebuchadnezzar, but we've all been there. We want to, we start pumping people for information that matters to us, and, um, and we become desperate. So, so, hello, customer service. Can you just update me as to the order status, please? Or what about, hey, you're friends with Mandy, right? She hasn't texted me back. Do you know what's going on with her? Or the way that we pick up self-help books, which are fine in themselves, but we look to them to give us information about the, the challenges that we're facing as if they can tell us the 10 steps to get through the challenge. Or we, we ask our mentor, we ask our professor, hey, if I do this graduate degree, will I have a job at the other end? Will it pay the bills? Um, or we ask our sponsor, who's part of a recovery program, like, I've been sober five days, can I make it 10? Can you assure me that if I do the steps, I'll make it 30 days? Am I going to get my life back? Nebuchadnezzar, is, he's in this place of desperation, and he's, he's pumping his advisors for information that really only God can give. So verse 7, the, the conversation continues to break down. They answer him a second time, well, tell us the dream and we'll interpret it for you. And then the king in verse 8 uh, basically accuses them of conspiracy. He's saying, you know, you're buying time. You're, you're, you... In his, in his head, he's got a conspiracy theory cooking. He's like, you guys, have, you guys are trying to basically manipulate me and buy time because you can see how, how firm I'm being with you. Um, and then, and then he, he, he threatens them again. Um, so if they knew, they would tell him. But they respond with some insight to give them credit. They respond with some, some insight will be important for us even today. They say in verse 10, the Chaldeans said, there is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked for such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Now, isn't that interesting? Nebuchadnezzar, you need to know something that can only come from the gods, and they don't care about flesh. They want to be as far away from flesh as possible. Um, so, to paraphrase, you're demanding information from human beings that you can only get from a divine source, and divine sources 
are too distant. There are questions that we have that we can't ultimately get from people. The deepest, most perplexing questions of our life can only be answered by a divine source. And you would need a divine source who would care enough to answer those questions. Like, does my solitary life matter to anybody? Will it matter in the end? Will my work be remembered? How can I be forgiven of the sin that's been revealed in my life before God? Is there life after death? Will I see the people I care about? Is there hope for our world? Will there ever be? Will there ever be actual good news? Will there ever be healing? What you ask is difficult. Google can't answer it. Experts, human guides, ultimately can't answer that question. These are the deepest mysteries of life. They matter. And it would require a God who cares enough about flesh, about human beings, not only to answer those questions, but to dwell with people who have them. We would need a God who is gracious and humble enough to swing low and whisper in our ear the sweet assurances of who he is and who we are. We would need a God who would leave his heights of glory and come into the streets of Babylon, whether ancient or modern, into our homes and living rooms when we feel isolated and alone. So does such a God exist? Not only a God with the answers, but a God with the humility to give the answers. So this is where we see the second guy. And so verse 12, the king was angry and very furious, which means pretty mad, and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So he's just in a rampage at this point. The decree went out. The wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Nebuchadnezzar is not the only one who wakes up in a cold sweat. Daniel wakes up, and there's chaos in the street. He can hear it right outside his window. There's a banging on the door. The king's personal guards are coming for him and his friends, and he has every reason to be troubled. There is now an execution order on his head. God saved his life the first time. He's got the strength of character to respond with courage, with, uh, with resolve, with a straightforward trust in God. Look what he does in verse 14. Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. So Daniel, who does not have all the answers, throws on an overcoat, walks into the fire, walks into the chaos, finds out the information available to him, um, and then takes the next step to save his life, the life of his friends, the life of all of the other advisors. He's got every reason to not do that. He's got every reason to run. He's got every reason to throw up his hands and say, I don't have any guide to lead me through this situation. I don't have a, a mom or a dad in my life right now or a mentor or a guide who can, who can say like, hey, here's what you do in this situation, Daniel, like when the, you know, the execution quarter, order comes out because the king's really mad and you need to tell him the dream and everything else. He doesn't have that. But he has the living God. And so, verse 16, he ventures on God. Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a 
that he might show the interpretation to the king. Now, Daniel does not know the dream. He doesn't know the interpretation. But nevertheless, he volunteers himself and says, hey, I'll, I'll give it. I'll, uh, if, there's a, if there's a dream interpretation that needs to be given, I sign myself up. And what gave him the courage to do this? So he knew, more than just information, he knew personally a God who cares enough about flesh to dwell with flesh and give them the answers they need. A God who cares enough to give dream interpretations. A God who cares enough uh, to, to supply the information. He knew about a God who was a shield to those who are in trouble and a help to those in need and a light to those in darkness. He'd been reading Isaiah. He'd been praying the Psalms and he was ready for this moment. So Daniel does what really any of us can do when we don't know what to do. He gathered his friends and and. He had a prayer meeting. And so, verse 17, Daniel went to his house, made the matter known to uh, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. You might know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those are their Babylonian names. These are their Hebrew names. Verse 18, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So there's an execution order on all of their heads. They have one night to live. They're in their living room. Maybe they're burning a candle or a couple. And they're on their knees. And they're lifting up their hands. And they're crying out to God for mercy. They're crying out to God that he would show the way. I mean, what a vulnerable situation to be in where you just like don't know what to do. You don't know what the way. You're on the hook to provide something that you don't yet have. And we could just even picture Daniel being like, guys, I need you to like, lay hands on me and pray that God would fan into flame this gift of dream interpretation which he promised to give me. I don't know what to do, and I can't pretend to have something I don't have. And so we can just even see in this moment of vulnerability a real sweetness and a real strength that they're venturing everything on God. Listen, at the end of the day, this is all we have as God's people. At the end of the day, this is all we need as God's people. I remember in the beginning days of Emmanuel Anglican Church, eight, eight years ago, this is all we had. It was basically a, some friends in the living room crying out to God, we just signed up to plant a church. We have no idea what to do. Would you show us? And he showed us. So, <sighs> candles get blown out. His friends uh, depart for their apartments. Daniel goes to bed, and before he knows it, he's asleep. And all of a sudden, unfolding before his eyes are a series of images that tell the story of all of human history, really give, a, give us a way to interpret any workplace, any civilization, um, any human endeavor, but also show us the kingdom of God not made with human hands. And he knows instinctively what it means. And so we imagine Daniel... The next morning, waking up in a cold sweat, all of a sudden realizing, God has come through for me. God has shown me the dream. God has shown me the interpretation. Getting out a writing instrument, getting out a scroll, scratching it down as fast as he can, breathing a sigh of relief. Thank you, God. And then before he rushes off to tell Nebuchadnezzar what the dream was, he takes a moment to give thanks and praise to God for revealing it. Um, 
He blessed the God of heaven, it says in verse 19. And then in verse 20, uh, Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. Wisdom and might. These are some of the best gifts that we can receive from the living God when we don't know what to do. He may not give us all of the information. Information stays in our head. Wisdom and might can be metabolized deep in your soul. And it can actually become something that is unshakable, that no trial can take away, that no, uh, no chaotic year can take away. In fact, this year in this city, this moment calls for people who know God well enough to have taken deep within themselves God's wisdom and God's might, which he is ready to give anybody who calls on his name. So when it matters most, ignorance is not bliss, it's torture. But in that same moment, when it matters most, God's revelation is a balm and a strength and a source of wisdom, and it strengthens the soul from the inside out. Daniel's prayer continues. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings, which is referring to the dream. Again, we'll see that next week. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. Can you hear the echoes of John 1? Um, he's not quoting John 1, of course, but he's um, speaking about God in the same way that John spoke about God, this light in the darkness. To you, God of my fathers, he continues in verse 23, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we ask of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. What kind of people are we becoming when we wake up into the cold sweats that we all have? Nebuchadnezzar woke up and revealed his great immaturity, his great insecurity, because he didn't have that living, vital link with the living God who reveals wisdom and might. Compare that with Daniel who didn't have half the power of Nebuchadnezzar. He had the presence of God. He wakes up with praise. He wakes up with confidence. He wakes up with the courage to take the next step. He's got wisdom and might deep in his gut. Do you know a God that can take all of us Nebuchadnezzars and turn us into Daniel? A God who uh, is humble enough to dwell with flesh? who would care about the kinds of things that keep us up at night, no matter how petty it seems to us? Do you know a God who is humble enough, who has the guts to have guts, who points us uh, toward the light, who shows us what our dreams mean? Daniel points us to a God who dwells, not just in heaven, but on earth, a God who put on flesh, 500 years after Daniel lived and died, Jesus Christ, God's son, put aside all heavenly glory, came down to the streets uh, of uh, uh, Galilee and Jerusalem and showed us the way. He gave us wisdom and might. He revealed God's heart. He went to the cross where the darkness absolutely killed him. He did that to shine God's light. Nowhere do we see God's light shining brighter than on the cross. Because in that one vision, we see not only how sinful we are and how much we need God's mercy, we also see how loving God is and how close he is and how ready he is to forgive and to heal. 
Do you know this God? He knows you. And he knows what troubles you. He knows what keeps you up at night. If you call out to him, he will answer. He will give you his wisdom and might through Jesus. Now, for those of you who follow Jesus, it's worth saying that Jesus not only forgives us, but he fills us with his Holy Spirit, and he will call us into Daniel-like situations where we don't know what to do. And it's on purpose. (laughs) God put Daniel in this situation on purpose. On purpose. In fact, Jesus told his disciples, there's going to come a time when you're going to be put before kings and governors. Don't worry in advance what you're going to say. I'll give you the words through this Holy Spirit. And he did it. Where's Jesus calling us? Um, In our case, he's calling our church, Emmanuel Anglican, to take meaningful risks to love our neighbor. Especially those outside our comfort zone, outside our friend group, outside our ethnicity, and outside the Christian faith. He's calling us to share the heart of Christ with them and our schedules with them in word and deed. And that's risky. It's not comfortable. Uh, We don't know in advance the words we'll need. We don't know in advance how it will impact us how it will impact our reputations, our resources. Um, Nevertheless, a God of wisdom and might knows all of those answers and will give us exactly the power, the strength, the wisdom, and the next step that we can throw on our own overcoats, put on our own sandals, and walk into rather than away from the fire in the year 2020. How is Jesus leading you? Those of you who follow Jesus, where is he leading you? He doesn't often lead into comfort. He often leads into risk. But he doesn't take away his presence. He gives his presence. He gives his spirit. He gives his easy yoke. Have you been hesitating to say yes to Jesus because of a lack of information? Is it hard to take up that call because man, I'm, there's some things that I absolutely have to know? That can be such a burden. That can be such a burden. It may be that this morning the Holy Spirit wants to give freedom from needing to know the things that we thought we absolutely had to know before taking a step into risk. Is there a step you can take today? Not knowing what the outcome will be. And I'm doing the same in my own life. What happens when we don't have all the information? When it matters? When we don't know what to do? We get on our knees together. We call our friends. We cry out to the living God. And he, the source of all wisdom and strength, gives us peace, gives us the next step, and helps us know the way to go when we don't know what to do. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.